In 2007, TV network CBS dropped 40 kids in the middle of the New Mexico desert as part of a brand new reality show. These kids would have to build their own society from scratch. And if this sounds like Lord of the Flies to you, well, it was meant to. We were on this mission together. We were going to prove to the world that we could make a better society than adults could. I'm Josh Gwynn, and I want to know what this wild TV experiment was really about. Split Screen, Kid Nation, a six-part podcast from CBC. Available now. You're listening to a Frequency Podcast Network production in association with City News. It was extremely clear, even as it was going on, that one day we would learn an awful lot more about just what the hell happened in Ottawa. Their freedom, though apparently... All the rights that have been taken away from our youth and all these masks that are, that are starting to affect their mental capability. They're not looking at people's livelihoods when people get fired from their job. We need our lives back. Now, eight months after the occupying convoy left the city, an inquiry is digging into absolutely everything related to the occupation. How did it start? Was there warning? How did they stay? Who failed who, exactly? It has only been a week, and we have already heard several stunning revelations. So what have we learned? What will we learn? And will it matter in the end? Or is this all just politicking. Today, we've got everything you need to know about the convoy inquiry and what comes next. I'm Jordan Heath-Rawlings. This is The Big Story. Cormac McSweeney is the City News reporter on Parliament Hill, which means he is our reporter on Parliament Hill. Cormac, nice to talk to you. It's been a while. Good to talk to you again, Jordan. You have spent the past week covering the Emergencies Act inquiry. Um, There's a lot of news out of this, and we're going to try to walk through a bunch of it. But maybe you can just begin by explaining how it works. What is it trying to discover? And, like, who's doing this inquiring? Well, uh, essentially, uh, you know, they're trying to see whether the use of the Emergencies Act was justified. They're really trying to get to the heart of the reasons behind it, but it's not just that. They're going to look into the powers that were used by the federal government in invoking this act and police, of course, in trying to deal with the emergency of the uh, convoy protest and and whether, you know, the use of the powers granted to police were justified as well. Uh, And of course, they're going to have to look into the context around all of this. And so, you know, so far we've been hearing a lot of testimony about the lead up to uh, the convoy's arrival in Ottawa and mainly focused on, you know, city operations and what the city and and police were expecting at that time. Um, And so all of that context is going to be gathered through um, likely more than 60 witnesses testifying um, up until the end of November. And then there are going to be these panel discussions that take place with some experts After that, uh, the commission is basically going to get down to the real hard work of compiling all of this data. And they they have, I think, more than 60,000 documents that they're pouring through. And they have to compile all of that together and decide whether, um, you know, what the facts are 
how things happened um, and whether or not the reasonings to use the Emergencies Act were justified. And they'll issue a final report, I believe. It's at the start of February. They have to submit it to the government, and then they have to table it into the House of Commons, I believe, by February 20th. Who's on the commission? Like, who's doing the asking? The commissioner is uh, Justice Rouleau, and he has a wealth of knowledge and experience. He's He's been a justice in, in several different provinces and territories. I believe he said he's a part of the bar in New York as well. Hmm. And he said at the start of all of this that, you know, this is not technically a courtroom, but he's going to be treating this commission almost like a court. Uh, and, you know, he has the option as well to jump in and ask questions of the witnesses. Um, and how it works really when it comes to the witnesses testifying is there are lawyers who are commission lawyers. So okay. they're unbiased. They're just trying to get down to the facts. And those commission lawyers do the initial round of questioning to try and determine the facts with each witness and get the full story. Then after that, there are what we call interveners or uh, people with standing. So that includes the likes of the city of Ottawa, Ottawa police, the federal government. Uh, a couple of provinces have um, been granted standing as well. The convoy organizers, there's a lawyer representing them as well. And so those people get to cross-examine each witness as they step forward, if if those lawyers decide to. And it's the lawyers who do the cross-examination, not, you know, the people themselves. Um, and so after the initial round of, of questioning from each commission lawyer, it's uh, the people with standing get to jump in and ask questions as well for a certain limited amount of time. And uh, they try to, you know, put a, I guess, whatever spin they want to try and put on it for the people they're representing to to build up their case as well. And so it's it's quite fascinating to see this unfold because you get different perspectives questioning um, the different witnesses. You're hearing uh, at times conflicting testimony as well. And you have these commission lawyers who are trying to just get to the bare facts so that we know what happened. And, and I think the commissioner said in his opening statement at the start of all of this, this is a fact-finding mission and he wants to discover the facts of what happened around all of this. So what kind of power uh, does the justice and the rest of the commission have to do that? You mentioned uh, 60-plus witnesses will be testifying. Can they compel testimony from other witnesses, force them to appear? Is there consequences for that? Or is it, is it like, please come and talk to us about this? While this is not technically uh, a courtroom, uh, you know, the commission does have certain powers in terms of trying to get uh, testimony. Of course, they've you know politely asked a lot of people to come talk to them as well. Um, but I double checked with the commission. They do have the power to issue a legal summons to uh, direct people to come and testify if they need to do that. Uh, so it, it does have the power to try and get to the facts in some way uh, and, and and force people in. Now, if somebody decided they didn't want to take part and ignored the legal summons, I'm sure there are uh, possible consequences behind that. Uh, but so far, that doesn't appear to have been an issue at all. But nonetheless, in terms of what consequences there could be at the end of all of this, if, let's say, the commissioner decides that uh, the government was unjustified in its use of the Emergencies Act, uh, this commissioner doesn't have the power to issue consequences or punishments in any way whatsoever. Um, and the commissioner made that clear as well at the start. He said, you know, this, I, I'm not a courtroom that will decide whether there's, you know, criminal liability or hmm. anything like that. Uh, that's not the role of the commission or the commissioner. But, um, you know, 
public shame is a big thing, yes. <laughs> and especially in politics. And so if it was discovered that, um, you know, let's say the federal government was unjustified in its use, that could be a big political problem for the Trudeau liberals. If it finds that they were justified in their use and it was reasonable for them to invoke the Emergencies Act to deal with the chaos and the crisis that was happening in the capital, as well as some border uh, crossings across the country, then they can say confidently that they did the right thing here, that it was needed and justified. And, you know, that really might mute a lot of the criticisms of the use of the act moving forward. Maybe not, um, but it, at least it gives them the defense that, uh, you know, they they had to do this uh, to to clear out the protesters and restore order in the city of Ottawa. And, and I think as well, you know, we do have a number of court cases that are ongoing right now with some of the convoy organizers. Mm -hmm. uh, so in terms of where this may go, it's going to be interesting to see whether any of the testimony, any of the facts that come out of this process end up making their way to the, the criminal cases that are against uh, some of the organizers. Now, I want to say as well that nothing has been proven in court against those organizers. A lot of the organizers are still, you know, going through the the process. So, you know, we want to respect that. Um, but I, I can I can only imagine that some of the big names that are are facing some legal issues around this um, might use some of the facts that are uncovered here within their own case. I want to get you to take us through uh, some of the main things the commission has covered so far. I realize we're not going to get to everything that's been going on for a week. I believe right before we started, you called it kind of information overload every day. Um, <laughs> so so let's just focus on some of the, the highlights that people uh, might need to know about as this commission continues. And let's start before the start of the occupation. What have we learned so far about like what Ottawa knew was coming and what they expected. Yeah, we've heard a lot of public statements from people within the city of Ottawa and the Ottawa police that, uh, you know, they had never seen anything like this and they, they weren't prepared because they couldn't have predicted how this all would have turned out. But, you know, there's been evidence presented to counter that, really. Uh, you know, we learned that the Hotel Association here in Ottawa had contacted the city and said, look, we've got uh, information from an organizer who called us and said that they are looking to potentially book up to 10,000 rooms in the city of Ottawa uh, for the protesters and that they want to book this for 30 days at least, could be as much as 90 days. Wow. And so the hotel association went to the city and said, hey, we got this information. This seems big. We want to know what you're going to do about this because, you know, it's going to impact our partners and things like that. And uh, the city passed that information on to Ottawa police. This was days before they arrived. I think it was about three days or so before they arrived. And essentially, you know, we heard from some city officials who said that they trusted the police and uh, the police, in their point of view, believed that uh, this would be over by the Monday of that first weekend, uh, that it would only be a couple of weekends and then a couple of days and then uh, everyone would basically go home. We've heard that from countless people that that's what um, then police chief Peter Slowly was telling people. But we've also just got information at, uh, just before we were speaking, there was an OPP uh, memo that had uh, been presented as evidence. And this memo from the Ontario Provincial Police says that the organizers have stated their intent to remain at Parliament Hill until the federal government concedes to repeal all COVID-19 public health restrictions 
and mandates. So that doesn't sound like it's going to be just, you know, one or two days. Um, as well, they warned of possible involvement of ideologically motivated extremists. Uh, so it's it's stunning as well to see these warnings that were ahead of the convoy's arrival and, you know, the, the reaction from the Ottawa police, who we haven't technically heard from in, in terms of testimony yet. We haven't heard from the former police chief, Peter Slowly, or uh, others within the Ottawa police force yet. But nonetheless, it's stunning to hear this information that there were warnings that were taken right to the people who had to make these decisions. And yet, uh, the trucks were allowed to still roll downtown into the capital, occupy the streets in front of Parliament Hill and around uh, all the buildings in the parliamentary precinct. Given, you know, the security concerns that were raised by the Ontario Provincial Police and the warnings that were coming from different levels. City officials, again, say that they just trusted police who were collecting information uh, from a wide variety of sources. Um, but there are many questions. And, you know, police have said for some time that they couldn't interfere with the right of the convoy protesters to demonstrate, to, to protest. Um, although, you know, back in February, when those comments were first made, uh, many experts of the Constitution said, you know, that's not technically right. Uh, you know, under the Constitution, yes, they have a right to protest, but they have no right to bring a vehicle onto a street and block traffic. That is not a constitutional right. So, you know, many questions still around why the streets were not closed or what the reasoning was behind that and whether that reasoning even, you know, made sense given what was happening. I think it's fair to say we'll be hearing a lot about the Ottawa police over the next few weeks of this inquiry. Um, and maybe it'll turn into finger pointing. First, though, before we talk about, you know, who comes next and and what those arguments will be, you mentioned that the convoy was allowed to roll in and set up. And I understand, I only heard a little bit of this, that there's been a lot of testimony from Ottawans themselves who were living in what they called the red zone. What kinds of things did they describe and what's it like uh, listening to that testimony? Well, um, you know, I, I'm one of the people who lived close to the protest site. I had right. uh, trucks that were parked not far from my home. So, uh, you know, hearing the testimony from some of these people is kind of like reliving some of it. But I was not in the hardest hit area where these trucks were. But, you know, we heard from uh, somebody who's a visually impaired former lawyer who said that she couldn't sleep at night. Uh, there was the honking that was happening nonstop. Um, she couldn't get around the city because of her visual impairment. Uh, you know, she needs to use uh, the sound signals at intersections uh, to get across the street safely. And she couldn't hear those with all of the noise that was happening. She had diesel fumes pouring into her home. Um, she says she still suffers traumatic reactions to things like the smell of gasoline uh, that triggers something in her uh, physically, as well as horn honking. She says uh, she's very jumpy whenever she hears a horn. And we heard of, you know, chaos and lawlessness as described by some of these residents. Uh, another woman, uh, Zexy Lee, who was um, is a public servant, who had launched the injunction to get the horns to stop honking. She says, you know, it was just chaos in the streets. And she said she didn't see police doing anything, sometimes not even seeing police at all. Um, and she said, you know, she was harassed. She talked about people having um, masks ripped off. Uh, she okay. said that she was 
verbally harassed as she was walking through the streets. Uh, she describes an incident where she says that uh, somebody had uh, bumped their truck into her. As well, she said that, uh, you know, she often had to get around urine and feces because people were relieving themselves in the streets. So, you know, there there was a lot of talk about the chaos that was uh, the downtown streets of the capital at the time of the convoy protest. And, and you know, it's been, it's been months, so I think, you know, a lot of our listeners may forget exactly what it was like down there and what the scene was. Uh, but it was uh, some of the first testimony that we heard that really sort of set the tone of what it was like before we started uh, talking to city officials about the decision-making around all of that. In 2007, TV network CBS dropped 40 kids in the middle of the New Mexico desert as part of a brand new reality show. These kids would have to build their own society from scratch. And if this sounds like Lord of the Flies to you, well, it was meant to. We were on this mission together. We were going to prove to the world that we could make a better society than adults could. I'm Josh Gwynn, and I want to know what this wild TV experiment was really about. Split Screen Kid Nation, a six-part podcast from CBC. Available now. What do we know yet, and and what have the police said for themselves so far? I I know they haven't officially testified, but is this just going to be a bunch of finger-pointing between Ottawa City officials and Ottawa police saying, you said this, we thought that, et cetera, et cetera? You know, I think uh, the best way to describe it is a tweet from Chris Nardi, a journalist with the National Post, Post Media. Uh, He had that Spider-Man meme, (laughs) and it was city, federal government, province, uh, OPS, everybody's pointing at each other. Yeah. That's essentially what it is uh, at the moment. What we've heard is people trying to cover themselves in some way, but there's been a lot of evidence as well that's been presented. So maybe they don't have as much cover uh, than they normally would if we didn't have access to all the text messages, emails, uh, Teams chats that all of these officials were having at the time. We're also hearing about audio recordings of conversations and things like that. So there's a lot of evidence here. So it's not going to be easy easy for officials uh, to gloss over certain things or uh, try and find the normal political cover that they would have. But nonetheless, you know, we've seen city officials sort of point towards police saying, you know, they were the lead on dealing with all of this. Uh, we've heard city officials uh, talk about how the province wasn't there for them and they and it was basically MIA for the first two weeks of this protest. Um, then also criticized the federal government and we've you know, heard from the lawyers representing these different elements to basically build up their defenses as well and asking questions that are clearly designed to get the answers those lawyers are looking for to help defend the parties that they represent. Right. It is important to note, though, that um, the province of Ontario is not represented at this really much at all. Uh, There are only two provincial officials with two ministries. I think it's the Solicitor General's Office and the Ministry of Transportation who will be testifying as far as we know. And the province of Ontario decided not to ask for standing in this. So they don't have a lawyer who can then uh, turn around and question city officials about provincial actions in all of this uh, because they chose not to have standing in this. So um, right now, you know, the province has been a bit of a punching bag for some city officials and they don't really have a way within this inquiry so far uh, to really counter a lot of that narrative. So it'll be interesting to hear what these officials have to say. And I will point out as well that uh, we had a surprise witness 
the other night uh, that was not scheduled uh, as a part of those original 65 witnesses that we had on the witness list, which goes to show that as evidence unfolds, the commission does have the power to invite more people to come and testify as they see fit if they need more answers. So um, Premier Doug Ford, uh, Ontario's Premier, has said that he's not been asked to testify, which is why he's not testifying. But, you know, the big question is, will that change? I, I actually asked the commission if they've if they've asked him to come testify, and uh, they say they don't, uh, they don't talk about who they've asked to come testify, aside from the original list that they've, they've uh, submitted to the public. So how do we get from where we are now talking about what we knew and, and when we knew it and, and the pointing fingers that you just described to the actual meat of the inquiry, which is, as you mentioned off the top, you know, why the Emergencies Act was needed and was it justified? How, how do we get from, from all these details to those big, I don't know, philosophical questions, really? Well, um, the commission has designed its witness list in themes, essentially. And so they said right off the bat, the first thing they're looking at is going to be what happened in the city of Ottawa. And so they're going to be calling a lot of different uh, witnesses at this certain stage to try and figure out the decision-making, the incidents that happened within the city of Ottawa. Then they're going to start to look towards the borders and the blockades that happened there. Uh, A couple of border mayors, uh, as well as uh, uh, provincial officials uh, may be testifying in regards to those blockades. Uh, and then they're going to start to move towards provincial and federal responses. And of course, we'll also hear from the convoy organizers uh, who have been called to testify as well. And I think it's through a lot of that. We're already seeing a lot of the questioning um you know, to try and build up the defense for the federal government, at least, where you hear things like Ottawa's mayor saying absolutely the Emergencies Act was needed. And that even though he didn't request it, he said when it was invoked, he was so happy. And he said almost immediately tow trucks were outside ready to go uh, outside of his city hall. And he said he later sent a letter of thanks to the federal government uh, for taking that action in order to clear out the protesters. So, you know, you're already seeing the elements of defense that are coming out through some of the testimony. Uh, the convoy lawyer is trying to establish that not all of the avenues that were available were exhausted. Therefore, the Emergencies Act uh, likely should not have been called. At least that's sort of where I gauge his arguments to be heading in mm. terms of, you know, trying to point out, well, did you try this? Did you try this? And I assume during the closing statements of the lawyers at the end of all of this, they're going to argue that not all of the options were exhausted before the federal government decided to take this unprecedented measure in invoking the Emergencies Act. But I think the the heart of the matter is really going to come Later on in the process, probably mid to late November, when we start to hear from the federal government, we have several ministers who will be testifying. The prime minister himself has said he's agreed to testify at this committee, and that's going to be key to getting to the heart of this matter. We also have a lot of evidence that is being put forward that you know we would never have access to, as I mentioned earlier, a lot of text messages, conversations, transcripts of one-on-one conversations 
nations. Uh, we, we discovered uh, just the other day that the prime minister said to the mayor of Ottawa that he believed Ontario Premier Doug Ford was hiding from his responsibilities for political reasons uh, through the inaction of the province to deal with this convoy protest. Hmm. You would never get that sort of insight and and hear those sorts of details in any sort of investigation like this, um, it's stunning the amount of information that we're getting access to right now. And it's only been, I think, three other commissions of inquiry in Canada's history in which the federal government has waived cabinet confidence to make details like this available uh, to the public. Uh, so it's it's fascinating to see. And I think that's where, uh, when we hear from the federal government, that's where we're going to get to the heart of the matter. Yeah. And that's where a lot of the lawyers, you know, depending on what their position is, are either going to be uh, grilling those federal politicians hard about whether this was necessary or not, or, uh, you know, getting the defenses that uh, there was nothing else that could be done and the Emergencies Act had to be invoked. Because you mentioned political reasons that the prime minister hinted at, I have to ask you, you know, obviously the the stated goal is to get to the bottom of why this happened and what happened. Um, but you have these lawyers who are advocating uh, for information to use to help their clients. On the political side of this, I know Ottawa has an election coming up on Monday. I know this occupation itself was the source of huge tension between the federal liberals and conservatives back earlier this year. How much of this inquiry is going to be uh, engineered or twisted for political point scoring? At the local level, you know, when you look at the uh, municipal election here in Ottawa, it's it's surprising that it hasn't become as much of an issue in the race as one might think. But it is it definitely an issue that uh, is going to be on the minds of Canadians. Councillor Catherine McKenney, uh, they testified uh, during this inquiry uh, about their actions in trying to stand up uh, for their residents. And of course, you know, for people who live in the area, who are represented by them, uh, they are going to have this in the back of their mind when they cast their ballot if they haven't done so already. And uh, Catherine McKenney is a counselor who's seeking uh, the mayor's office and Ottawa Mayor Jim Watson, who testified earlier, he's outgoing. He's not running for re-election. And so we have this open race uh, for the first time in, in a few years. So it's going to be interesting to see what happens there. But, uh, you know, speaking larger with the provincial and federal political scenes. I mean, there are a lot of questions for the Ford government right now about mm -hmm. what happened and and why, you know, there wasn't as much support given to the city of Ottawa during the convoy protest. And and to be fair to to the premier and the provincial government, they say they believe that this was a police matter and they should not be getting involved politically because you don't direct police. Uh, although city officials did say that they were looking in other ways to try and get help from the provincial government and were either met with hesitation or silence. But nonetheless, I think, you know, the opposition parties are going to start to use this against uh, Premier Doug Ford and the PC government. You know, we may still have time before we see a provincial election in Ontario, but nonetheless, you know, it's it's one of those things that any political party will try and take advantage of uh, for their own political gain. On the federal scene, you know, it's, it's interesting and it will be interesting to see where we go because it could be 2025 before we see another federal election. But, you know, current conservative leader Pierre Polyev, whether uh, you believe it's great or, or you have criticisms of it, has appealed largely to a lot of the people who were upset about COVID measures. Mm -hmm. um, it helped 
bring him to power as the conservative leader. Um, it was a part of his strategy. And, you know, it's it's still an element within the party and within his base uh, that he has appealed to. And, and he's been vocal about his opposition to COVID mandates. And I think that that is going to be an element, whether it's used by him against the uh, uh, the federal government or whether it's used by the Trudeau liberals against the conservatives and Pierre Polyev. Um, you know, there have been a lot of public opinion polls that uh, have shown that people across the country are not too fond of the convoy protests. So pictures of Pierre Polyev standing with those protesters and uh, and saying that he believed in sort of what they were doing in certain ways, it might come back during a general election. Mm -hmm. So I think, um, you know, both the liberals and NDP might be targeting the conservatives on this. The conservatives also may use it for their own advantage against the Trudeau liberals. So, so we're back to the Spider-Man meme. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, I just don't think we've seen the end of this. And I think everything comes out during an election campaign. Um, every party will use every tool they can to take their opponent down a notch. And I think we'll see a lot of that, especially in the federal election, whenever that comes. So last question then, and calling back to the fact that this is an information overload, how often in covering this so far have you have you seen or heard something that makes you go, whoa, and like how, how frequent is that? And maybe just what's been the most surprising thing you've learned so far? One of the more incredible things that come out that just happened before we started speaking was that uh, Councillor Diane Deans, who was chair of the police services board through much of the convoy protest before she was ousted from that role uh, by her uh, council colleagues, she says she called it an insurrection within the Ottawa police force during the biggest crisis that the city was facing. Wow. She said that there were elements within the force that were not supportive of then police chief Peter Slowly. He was not getting the support that he needed uh, during the convoy protest and during this crisis. And she believes that people within the force were using that crisis against him. And she even named a name. She said that there was an acting deputy chief, uh, Patricia Ferguson, who I believe is on the witness list as well, but she hasn't testified yet. She said that Slowly had told her that Ferguson had to be sent home for a few days because she was kind of wrapped up in some of the elements of all of this. And, uh, you know, it's stunning to hear, uh, you know, an elected official say that there was an insurrection within a police force as that police force was trying to deal with the biggest crisis that it's faced in, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not going to say ever. <laughs> I, I don't know all the history of of the city of Ottawa, but this, is, this has got to be up there. And uh, it's amazing to hear what was happening, or at least, you know, what she says was happening, because this is her version of events. We've mm -hmm. yet to hear from the then police chief, Peter Slowly, or from uh, Patricia Ferguson yet. Uh, so, you know, we'll have to wait to hear those details from them as to what happened. Uh, but stunning testimony so far. And we're only just getting into this inquiry because this goes on for at least another month. Cormac, thank you so much for walking us through all of this. It's a lot. <laughs> it is indeed. Uh, anytime, Jordan. Uh, I'm sure we'll be chatting again. Cormac McSweeney. Parliament Hill reporter for City News, covering the convoy inquiry. That was The Big Story. For more, you can head to thebigstorypodcast.ca. If you happened to be in Ottawa during the convoy, we would love to hear your thoughts on what you are hoping to get from the inquiry. 
Do you just want closure? Is there something you don't know that you need to? Or would you prefer to forget the whole damn thing ever happened? We'd love to know. You can always reach out to us. You can find us on Twitter at TheBigStoryFPN. You can talk to us via email, hello at TheBigStoryPodcast.ca. And of course, you can even call and leave a message, 416-935-5935. If you're listening to The Big Story in a podcast player that lets you review podcasts and you have not yet given us a rating or a review, please fix that. Thanks for listening. I'm Jordan Heath-Rawlings. We'll talk tomorrow. In 2007, TV network CBS dropped 40 kids in the middle of the New Mexico desert as part of a brand new reality show. These kids would have to build their own society from scratch. And if this sounds like Lord of the Flies to you, well, it was meant to. We were on this mission together. We were going to prove to the world that we could make a better society than adults could. I'm Josh Gwynn, and I want to know what this wild TV experiment was really about. Split Screen, Kid Nation, a six-part podcast from CBC. Available now.